Hey, Reveal listeners, if you've been listening to American Rehab, you don't need me to tell you about the importance of great investigative journalism. It really helps us when our listeners rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's so easy to do, and it helps others find our show. So we've got a bonus for the next 200 people who review us, Reveal Tote Bags. Like our t-shirts, they're simple and elegant, dark blue with the word facts written across the front in bold type. So here's what you got to do. Text the word REVIEW to 474747, and we'll give you instructions on how to get one while supplies last. Again, text the word REVIEW to 474747. You can text STOP at any time, and standard rates apply. And when you leave the review, if you want to tell them that Al Ledson is your all-time favorite host, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to be mad at that. Thank you so much for your review on Apple Podcasts. It makes a huge difference. From the Center for Investigative Reporting in PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Ledson. It's September 2017 in the Mediterranean Sea. A huge red ship called the Aquarius, almost the length of a football field, slows its engines about 25 miles off the coast of Libya. This is a rescue ship, staffed by Doctors Without Borders, and another group called SOS Mediterranean. On this day, French reporter and Reveal contributor Raphael Kraft is on board. Now, Raph, you're on the deck of this ship in the Mediterranean Sea, looking through a pair of binoculars at a small rubber boat, right? That is the case, Al. Um, this is a Chinese rubber boat that is not very reliable. It is um, meant to, to have uh, not more than 10 to 15 people on, on board, and it's packed, filled with more than 100 people. With the binoculars, you can clearly see the people are scared. You can see the faces of the people who are screaming because the water is getting into to the boat and they are trying to get the water out some, uh, with their hands because they don't have tools to actually get the water out of the boat. I've been seeing scenes like this for the past few years on the news. Thousands of migrants from Syria, Iraq, from all over Africa... They've died trying to make this 300-mile crossing from Libya to Europe. So today, you're going to take us through that journey up close. And I should say to our audience that this journey includes some descriptions of violence and torture. Yeah, and you'll hear it's even more dangerous than it was before. As I'm looking in the binoculars, there is this speedboat coming, and the Aquarius cannot approach the boat that is sinking. Because on this speedboat, there are two men with machine guns circling around the rubber boat that is about to sink. This is the Libyan Coast Guard. You have to go inside the accommodation and no filming. These guys are not going to be happy about that. So if you could just go in as quickly as possible. I don't know what doors are still open. Sorry. Coast Guard might sound official, but these guys are from Libya, where there is no functioning government. And uh, we have to go inside the boat because we got to get away from, from them and their machine guns. So um, we're all crowding around the porthole window trying to see what's going on. Yeah. And next to me is the midwife of Doctors Without Borders. Ah, he's sinking. The boat is going in the water. And then Madeleine Habib gets up and makes an announcement to the whole crew. Ready? She is the boss of SOS Mediterranean on the Aquarius ship. We're currently 26 miles north of the coast of Libya. Behind me you can see a small rubber boat that according to the Italian Navy helicopter has more than 200 people on board. The Libyan Coast Guard have assumed control of this operation and they are now there with one of their fast speedboats. There's no way that that fast speedboat can take those 200 people on board. Clearly, you can see that those two Libyan guys do not know what they can do. There are only two. They have their weapons with them, uh, Kalashnikov weapons. One of them is waving it in the air. And we are very concerned about what might happen to the people on board this rubber boat. We've known in the past that there have been terrible interfaces between the Libyan Coast Guard and people fleeing Libya. Our concern is that people may jump into the water. They they may find themselves in a more dangerous situation than they're already in, which is why we're standing by, maintaining a respectful distance, and we're always ready to help. 
do we have to be careful with these Libyan coast guards? Yes. Why? Pourquoi? Um, the Libyan coast guard is not what one might consider an extremely organized border force control and they may operate in an erratic manner. Has there already been incidents between NGOs and Libyan coast guards? There have been incidents um, and some of them have resulted in, in gunfire. When the Libyan coast guard is handling a rescue, they don't have much consideration for the people they rescue. Uh, when they put them on their boats, they do not hesitate to beat them. They even left migrants to drown. This standoff is a crucial moment. What is about to happen will decide which shore these migrants land on. If they are rescued by the Coast Guard, they will end up in Libya. If they are rescued by the Aquarius, they will arrive safely in Europe. So what do the Europeans think of all this? In such a standoff, uh, the EU, the European Union, is on the side of the Libyan Coast Guard. The EU has helped train them to take charge of more rescue. That is how much they do not want migrants to arrive in Europe. This is how Europe is protecting its borders. Marcela Cray is the coordinator for Doctors Without Borders and the Aquarius, and she told me what was happening to migrants when they were brought back to Libya. Libya, which is a country that's very violent, lawless, fractured, uh, with uh, a lot of, of extortion, maltreatment, torture, sexual violence. We can even say slavery, uh, people being uh, taken by people and, and made to work without pay, uh, taken into captivity arbitrarily without knowing when they're going to get out. If you imagine coming from that kind of situation, imagine how desperate you must be to then get into a small rubber boat, which is completely overcrowded, and setting sail at night in the dark, going into that black hole, that's the sea at night. And you spend hours and hours cramped together, and finally daylight comes, and there is the Libyan Coast Guard, a boat with Libyan people on board with the Libyan flag, and they're gonna take you back to that hell you've just escaped. That hell is where all those people on that sinking rubber boat just came from. So what's that like? I mean, for the Aquarius to just sit there and watch. Well, on the Aquarius ship, is just like, but when are we going to be allowed to operate the rescue? I mean, time is passing. How long do these people have? It can take hours. I talked to Max Avis. Max Avis is the, the guy in charge of the rescue. He's the boss. He's the kind of guy that you would follow to the other side of the earth uh, with a blind eye, you know, you trust him. And um, he told me that people drowning and water filling a boat that is about to sing is more complicated than it sounds. Basically, people out here die because of uh, being crushed by each other. The boats sink. And as they start to sink, the fuel uh, canisters are large, maybe 80-gallon barrels, and they tip. Then you get this uh, environment where the salt water and the fuel mixing starts... Uh, well, the first effect is it makes you a little high because you're breathing in liters and liters, hundreds of liters of fuel. You know, after the first hour, it starts to itch. And then after a few hours, it starts to burn. And then after a few more hours, it starts to peel your skin off your legs and your, your backside and your arms and whatever part of you is in contact with that. So the weight, and they're just mixing with this intoxicating, burning liquid uh, for hours and hours and hours and hours. And it goes on and on and on. And because they're also high at this point, they start to panic very easily. And eventually... 
you find them and they've been there and there's dead people between their legs floating around and our rescue people have uh, bite marks on their legs because uh, they're fighting for their lives. People's like I grabbed a body and their skin just like that and it is horrifying. This is a form of hell, I think. Does the Aquarius find some kind of way to rescue these people? Well, the Libyan Coast Guard actually started waving at the Aquarius crew and apparently saying, come, we cannot do it. MSF, we are proceeding to rescue the rubber boat. There is a kind of scramble on the Aquarius. All the crew on the ship knows what to do in that situation. The field hospital, the little hospital run by Doctors Without Borders on the ship, is getting ready to, uh, to welcome people in cases of, uh, of emergency. They put two Zodiacs in the sea. What's a Zodiac? A Zodiac is an inflatable speedboat, and um, I managed to find um, a place on one of these uh, inflatable speedboats um, to perform the rescue. After about five minutes, we arrived next to the boat that was sinking. I was told to sit in the back and a guy uh, sat next to me. He looked very young, 14 or 15 years old. This guy, one hour before, was either going to die, drowning, or either uh, sent back to Libya and put in jail. And he was sitting next to me, and um, I asked him, ça va, which means, uh, do you feel okay? Ça va? Ça va bien, ça va bien. And then he started talking and talking. Thank you. Thank you so much. We are so glad you saved my life. We have all suffered too much. We have suffered too much, too much. God will reward you. I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. We are so happy. The speedboat is zipping back and forth, bringing people to the Aquarius as fast as possible. Now, Raf, you were on deck when they came aboard, so what did you see? Women are crying, babies are crying. And what happens is that they almost fall on the deck when they arrive on the Aquarius, and the job of the crew is to actually hold them. Because if they fall down, that means the people behind them can't board, and the whole rescue slows down. Meanwhile, behind them, out in the sea, the rubber boat is still sinking. You know, you have these women. Uh, they have been for hours and hours and hours at sea. They are dehydrated. Their children are de dehydrated. The youngest was one month old, you know. And uh, so these people are immediately taken in charge, and the doctors of Doctors Without Borders are trying to assess what is the situation, who should go where. It's like war medicine, you know, you have to make choices very fast and, and, and eventually other people can arrive and arrive and arrive. English? English. English. How are you? I'm very fine. Great. Yeah. Where are you from? Nigeria. Nigeria. Yeah. And how old are you? 24. 
These people are from Mali, Guinea, Nigeria. Sometimes even boatloads of Libyans fleeing their own country have been rescued. Hi. Hi. How are you? Fine, fine, thank you. English is okay? Uh, Small, small, English. (laughs) Good. Where are you from? Uh, Egypt. Egypt. Egypt, uh uh-huh. Muscle. Muscle. And how old are you? Uh, 28. On the deck, you have uh, hundreds of men, mostly young people, who the day before were in Libya. Some of them have the shirts torn, some of them are um, almost naked, all of them have uh, traces of petrol on the body, salt water drying on their body, and you cannot uh, refrain from thinking what happened to them when they were in Libya because you can see scars on their backs, on their shoulders. It is known and documented that these people are tortured. Once the rescue is over, there is a need, you know, to break the pressure. And um, Aquarius crew has drums that they give to calm down people, in fact, and to, uh, to let them explode in joy, especially this time because no one had died during the rescue. Everybody was dancing. There was a, a lead dancer and the lead singer and the guy at the drum, and every now and then, somebody would enter the the circle, you know, the central circle, to make a short 10, 15 second dance and then would be replaced by another one. After that, it's a three days journey to Italy and the joy is overflowing from these people who have survived and are on their way to Europe. These people are headed to Europe. They're the lucky ones. When we come back, we're going to hear what can happen to people who aren't so lucky. The ones who get picked up by the Libyan Coast Guard and sent back to Libya. Only that Coast Guard, like other institutions there, can't be trusted. Every group is both good and bad. Everybody has some extracurricular activities on the side, including fuel smuggling, drug trafficking, and and human smuggling. Still, Europe continues to give them support. We'll pick up that story when we come back. We have a few beautiful but also heartbreaking photos Raphael took of this rescue. To see them, just text RESCUE to 202-873-8325. Again, that's R-E-S-C-U-E to 202-873-8325. You can text STOP or HELP at any time, and standard texting rates apply. You're listening to Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. Reveal is brought to you by the University of Virginia and the Sacred and Profane podcast. We often hear it's not polite to bring up religion, but we lose so much when we don't talk about religion. Sacred and Profane is a podcast that isn't afraid to tackle religion. Next up, the long-standing problem of discriminatory policing against religious and racial minorities in France. Sacred and Profane is produced by the Religion, Race, and Democracy Lab at the University of Virginia. Catch season two wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for Reveal comes from Blinds.com. Transforming your home into even more of a sanctuary is easy and affordable with Blinds.com. They make it simple to shop top-quality blinds, shades, and interior shutters from home with easy online ordering and free shipping. Blinds.com has helped millions of homeowners through the process, and they guarantee the perfect fit whether you DIY or have them install everything for you. Go right now and see how much you can save at Blinds.com. 
Rules and restrictions may apply. From the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. We've been tracing the journey of migrants crossing through Libya on their way to Europe and the increasing dangers they face along the way. Some of these people are refugees fleeing conflict in places like Sudan and Syria. Some, from countries like Eritrea, are escaping dictatorships and political persecution. French reporter Raphael Kraft went to the Mediterranean Sea last year to witness the rescue of a rubber boat that was about to sink. Now, the migrants on this boat, mostly West African people, escaped from Libya, an extremely dangerous place. They were rescued by an NGO ship called the Aquarius and taken to Europe. Raf, earlier it looked like the Libyan Coast Guard might do this rescue instead of the Aquarius. What would happen to all these people then? Well, I can tell you what one of these guys told me, because it happened to him on an earlier attempt to escape Libya. This is a guy from Cameroon in Central Africa. His name is Lee Van Cliff, just like the actor. Well, he said that the first time he attempted to reach Italy, he went on this boat and uh, he was launched, as he says in his words, and after a few miles he was stopped by the Libyan Coast Guard who took them and they brought them back to the shore and sent them to prison. The Libyan Coast Guard brought him to a prison? Why? Because they are considered illegal immigrants. And um, these prisons are mostly run by militias because Libya does not have a functioning state. So if a migrant wants to get out, uh, he has to pay. C'est un réseau. It's a network, Lee Van Cliff told me, of people making money off of migrants. It's like an infernal circle. Picked up, sent to prison, paid to be freed, back to smuggler, picked up by Libyan Coast Guard, back to prison again. These, these migrants have become, I'm uncomfortable saying this, but, but they've become a commodity to to buy and sell. I mean, the whole thing is reminiscent of the United States during slavery times. Um, But how is that possible in a country in 2018? Well, Libya is not a country. I mean, it's a country, but there's no state. It's anarchy. Ralph, I should say that anarchy is the effect of the United States and its allies toppling dictator Muammar Gaddafi in 2011. And so... For the past seven years, Libya has been a mess. And this is the country that migrants are crossing through to get to Europe? Yeah. And you have to understand that's because the routes going through Europe are closing one after the other. They can hardly come through Turkey. They can hardly come through Morocco because EU has struck deals and paid billions of dollars to build up border security in those countries. So today, the only way for migrants is to go through Libya. And it's the most dangerous route. If Libya is that dangerous and it's the main migration route, how is Europe handling that? Europe wants the migrants to stay in Libya. So what does Europe do? Uh, Europe finances Libyan coast guards, train them to make them arrest more and more people and stop them from crossing the Mediterranean Sea. And it's working. Last year, they picked up 20,000 migrants. But controlling what the Libyan Coast Guard does is not that simple. That's according to Jalel Ashawi, a political scientist who studies Libya at the University of Paris. Every group is both good and bad. Everybody has some extracurricular activities on the side, including fuel smuggling, drug trafficking and human smuggling. Harshawi says in Libya, a badge and a uniform does not mean someone can be trusted. And and Italy knows it. Every time Italy funds and bolsters uh, a Coast Guard, they will do whatever they need to do on the side. And the hope here is that the percentage of their activity is kind of decent. So if they do just 20% of the bad things and 80% of the useful things, Italy uh, considers itself very happy. 
Raf, I know you've interviewed an official from the European Commission and reported in Italy about these policies. And we're going to get to the Europe side in a minute, but I, I want to go deeper on Libya now. Why do people keep falling into this trap? I mean, haven't they heard by now what's happening in Libya? Well, you have a lot of uh, young people from West Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, who do not have job opportunities in their country, who do not have the opportunity to study, and they want to do something with their life. And doing something with your life is sometimes traveling. It's almost like a Jack Kerouac story, you know. One of them told me, I want to catch life. I want to catch my life. I want to find my life. So they're leaving with a sense of hope. Exactly. And I actually met a guy like this in Catania, Italy. He was picked up by a different rescue ship back in 2016. Now, first of all, I would like you to introduce yourself. Well, I'm Osaze Sondi. I'm from Nigeria. Osaze is in his 20s. He's from Edo State, from Benin City. I'm an artist. I deal on music. I produce. So You were a producer, music producer. Yeah, I was a producer and I was also a singer. I was living well. I was earning good money from my entertainment industry, you know. I did some several videos like that of Black IQ. Ozazi is, seems to me very optimistic. He has a deep look. You cannot guess what's the story behind this guy. He told me part of the reason he left Nigeria was that he was threatened over a land dispute. So much has happened to him. He wants to write a book. I know one day, sometime, a day will come. I will write a novel about it. I believe by then I will be able to, you know, tell the full story. By then I will be able to tell the full story. Did you know what you were going to live in Libya before leaving? No, 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 no. I never knew where I was. In fact, I never knew where I was heading to, you know. When you left Nigeria, did you know about the kidnapping and torture in Libya? No, no, no. Before I left Nigeria, my friend who talked me into the journey, you know, she told me pleasant things, you know, gave me good, good news. Yeah, this friend told him that life in Europe would be all about hotels. I was told, oh, you are going to be sleeping from hotel to hotel. Girls, fun. You are going to be seeing different girls of different kind, you know. You are going to be eating different kind of food. Good, nice stories. Okay, so explain to me his route. How did he get from Nigeria to Europe? Well, the majority of people who are leaving West Africa are going to Agadez in Niger to cross the Sahara Desert, and that was the case of Ozazi. In Agadez, uh, smugglers have a storefront, um, you know, with the prices, the quality of service. It's not hidden at all. So when Ozazi arrives in Agadez, he he does like all migrants there, is that he's asking several smugglers uh, what is the best way to get to southern Libya. And um, very often, because uh, migrants don't have much money, the quality of service is very low, and uh, they end up 30 people on a four-wheel drive or 100 people on a truck that is taking days to cross the desert. And... Whenever somebody falls from the truck, the truck doesn't stop. So you have a lot of people dying this way. A lot of people dying also of thirst and hunger. And that's almost what happened to Ozazi Sunday. Well, actually, let me break some little story down for my brothers and sisters that are listening. Um, While we are in the desert, we went through so many things, no food, no water, no. You see your brother dying, you see your sister dying. No, you have to even drink urine that is not yours. You have to buy urine. You drank urine yourself? Very well, very well. Did you witness some people die? A lot, a lot. 
Some die of hunger, some died of lack of water. And the danger is not only about um, thirst and sun and geography. It's also about kidnapping, just like what Ozazi told me. Um, near a town called Sabha in southwestern Libya, the truck he was riding got stopped by criminals, and he was taken to what he called a hole in the ground full of tiny rooms. Hundreds of people were there. So at the very first day when I got there, where they pushed me down into the room. I entered the room. I slept very well that night. What happened to him is what is happening to many migrants, not to say the majority of migrants. So daybreak of it, I was waked with an electric shock. He was tortured. Electric shock. Uh, when I say tortured, I'm talking about beatings, electrocution. I'm sorry to... to um, to ask you, if you don't want to answer, I, I'd understand, but because it must be painful to... But what part of the body? Actually, they don't put place the wire or the electric in your body. They just sprinkle water inside the room and, you know, put the electric in the water. So you being inside the room, your body being inside the room, you know, you must, you must be shocked. And uh, after a few days, he was asked the phone number of his family uh, so he could call them to ask them for money to release him. Then they called my dad, they spoke with my dad and gave, told my dad the ransom he was to bring. Then my dad told them to give me phone. And I used our language, our traditional language, to tell my dad not to remit anything for them. What was the language? I told him, Daddy, early go near, that is Edo. Edo language. Edo language. So I told my dad not to give them any ransom. So they tortured Ozaze, and then he calls his dad, and Ozaze tells him not to pay? It's a matter of pride, you know, uh, Al. Uh, Ozaze left Nigeria without the permission of his family. So he wanted to solve the problem alone. The problem is that the kidnappers in Libya are willing to make money at whatever cost. How much money can they really make from families of people who may be desperate refugees and have probably paid all the money they had to a smuggler? They may be only able to get a few hundred dollars from each person, but if they get that much from hundreds or thousands of people, well, you can make a lot of money. I have to receive electric shock in the morning and in the evening before I sleep. After about three days, I receive dagger stabbed in my, in my chest and some part of my hands. What? Dagger stab? Dagger stab. What is dagger? Ah, uh, you mean knife stab? Knife, yeah, that is knife stab. That's what you showed me? Yeah, that is what I showed you then. You can see on his chest, you can see on many parts of his body, um, the, the dagger stabs that he received. They looked like long, deep cuts. The pain was too much. I have to tell my dad, please, you have to look for a solution. Give them what they requested for. Ozazi's dad paid his way out, $550. And then when he's out, he has to pay another smuggler to take him to Tripoli in a truck. When he gets to Tripoli three days later, that's when he sees that Libya is a war zone. Tripoli. Ash. If I remember the deaths uh, of a lot of people, those that died there, oh. In Tripoli, he hears gunshots all the time. You don't sleep without hearing gunshots. He cannot stay in this place where civil war is raging. So I have no choice. I have to go straight to the seaside, you know, look for a way of getting down to Europe. Ozaze needs some money to actually uh, cross the sea to go to Europe, so he's trying to work. He thinks he has found a construction job, but then he ends up getting kidnapped again and threatened with torture a second time. And along the way, one man actually sold him to another. So instead of being paid for his work, he's threatened with torture and sold? I mean, how does anyone actually get out of Libya? Many do not, Al. 
Doctors Without Borders told me that they estimate one in ten migrants who enter Libya will die there. One in ten will die in Libya. I mean, that's, that is a huge number. Yeah, and right now there are anywhere between 400,000 and 700,000 migrants in Libya. Many of them will stay and work and make their lives there, as has always been the case. Then there are people like Ozazi who are trapped and desperate to leave. He has no money to pay a smuggler. He has no idea how he's going to escape. But then one night, he hears a commotion on the beach nearby where he's staying. That fateful night, I saw people running into the, the sea. Running into the sea, running into the sea. I said, where are these people going to? Let me go and, you know, also see what is making these people to run, what is getting these people excited. So when I got there, I saw a boat. Wow. It was at that first time that I knew this is the way to Europe. This is how people go to Europe. And a week later, Ozazi saw another rubber boat was loading. He ran over, mixed in with the crowd of people, and snuck aboard. And finally, he could see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So you managed to get on the boat without paying, without nothing? Exactly, exactly. It was the grace of God. It was the grace of God. Osaze was packed into this cheap rubber boat with so many people he could barely move. The smugglers launched him out into the Mediterranean, pointed towards Italy. We'll pick up Osaze's story in a minute and hear what happens when migrants like him hit the streets of Europe. Capo Grandi! Capo G! That's ahead on Reveal. From the Center for Investigative Reporting in PRX, this is Reveal. I'm Al Letson. We're picking up our story as a young Nigerian music producer, Ozaze Sunday has just snuck on board a small rubber boat on the coast of Libya. He's a part of a steady flow of migrants from mostly African countries trying to flee Libya to get to Europe. The flimsy boat is crammed with people. So close together, it's hard to move. The smugglers in charge choose a few passengers. Two get a compass, they're now the guides. Another one is told to steer. The smugglers tell them, you're driving this boat to Italy. At this point, Ozaze and all the passengers are on their own. You have to leave your faith to God to decide. Because the smugglers, they are not there with you. Everybody in the boat are passengers. When you are on top of the water, when you look at your right, you don't see any dry land. You don't even see a single tree. You look at your left, the same thing. Back, front, the same thing. You have to start praying to God. Out in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, Ozaze's boat starts taking on water just like the rubber boat you heard about at the beginning of this story. Ozaze tries to bail it out, but all he has are his hands, and he has no life jacket. The waves are so strong, he feels like they are tearing the boat apart. French reporter Raphael Kraft brought us Ozaze's story, and he's here with me. Raphael, what happens next? Well, finally a rescue boat shows up, but Ozazi, as well as the others on the boat, fears it's a Libyan coast guard coming to take everyone back to Libya. Everyone on the sinking boat is looking to see what flag the rescue ship is flying. We finally saw the flag that it was Italian rescue. This rescue boat brought Ozazi to the Italian island of Sicily. He was brought to Minio Camp. This is the largest migrant camp in the country. It's in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by barbed wire. This place is overcrowded with thousands of people. There's not enough food. And there's even an investigation into the Italian mafia skimming money and working with human traffickers there. Ozazi says, like many migrants at the camp, he was promised 75 euros a week, but he never got it. I received cigarettes. Every three days I was given a packet of cigarettes. Ozaze lived at Minio camp for about a year, and then he was asked to leave. So he had nowhere to go. He went to the nearest city, Catania in Sicily. 
He had applied for asylum. He claimed he had been threatened in Nigeria over a land dispute. The authorities rejected this claim. So now he's living in Europe illegally, which means he's not allowed to work. I'm not supposed to be in Italy by now because there's no work, there's no job in Italy. What do you do to make a living? Where do you, do you sleep? Well, I do beg. I do beg, you know, just to have my daily bread, you know, just to have something to put in my tummy. And as for the sleep, once the day gets dark, I look for any corner, look for a blanket and cover myself there. Sleep by roadside, corners. At the moment, you sleep on, under... Under this um, very church, under the step of this church. That is where I sleep at the moment. He's been sleeping here for months. And to make a bit of money, he washes windshields, but he can only make seven or eight dollars a day. The good day, he would get 20 to 25. So Ozaze, a music producer, survives the Sahara Desert and torture in Libya and a rubber boat crossing the Mediterranean. Now he's sleeping outside of a church in Italy and he hasn't found a way to settle there. So what is he going to do? I asked him his plans for the future, Al. Well, actually my plans. Well, I'm planning to leave Italy this month or next month by the special grace of God. I'm heading to France to look for a good job and live a better life that I've always desired to live, you know. Start up something good for myself and for generations to come. Because begging is not my calling. Begging has never been my calling. Saraf, so Ozaze mentioned wanting to go to France. Is your country going to be any more welcoming? <laughs> no, no, Al. Italy is on the front lines. Migrants land there first, but France doesn't want them either. No country in Europe really does. That's why the EU has funded Italy's support of the Libyan Coast Guard. And the strategy actually goes beyond that. They're trying to stop the smugglers in Libya from launching the boats in the first place. Last summer, Italy convinced at least one warlord in the Libyan city of Sabrata to stop his smuggling business. This was widely reported, and Reuters got the story first. They negotiated through the interim government in Tripoli, which is partly funded by Italy. But they cannot buy influence with every warlord in the country. Exactly. I mean, when, when you decide to, to go around and distribute money, uh, it implies automatically that you're going to go and pay a finite number of militias. And we're talking about a country that has thousands of them. That's Jalal Arshawi again, the Libya expert from the University of Paris. He says supporting one militia to stop it from smuggling makes other militias jealous. Italy denies paying militias in cash, of course. But that militia in Sobrata told the Times of London that Italy promised boats, vehicles and government salaries for its members. That alone could create shocks, it could create disappointments, it could create clashes. But Sobrata was interesting in the sense that it triggered a battle. A serious battle. Jalal Arshawi says that what Italy is doing is actually fueling the chaos in Libya. So Italy is making things worse and the European Union is backing Italy. Yeah. I wanted to know, Al, what the EU has to say about the consequences of their Libya policy. So I went to Brussels to ask. I met Christian Leffler, a deputy secretary general at the European Commission. That's the office that actually implements EU policy. Sometimes Coast Guard units are run by militias. Corruption is high. Can you explain how this money goes to the Libyan Coast Guards and how this program works? There is no money that goes to the Libyan Coast Guards. Um, there has been a training. There is an ongoing training program. Okay. 
to improve. Well, well this, the, this is money. No, it's not money. This is training that is being done by uh, European Coast Guard organizations, principally but not exclusively in Italy, in a number of other member states as well. Um, so there is, I mean, apart from uh, paying for a bed and food for those who are part of the training, there is no money involved. Mm-hmm. And none of that money goes to the Libyan Coast Guards. It goes to those who offer the training. Leffler did not mention that Italy has already given at least four new boats to the Libyan Coast Guard. And the European Union has invested almost 50 million euros in this project. Now there is even a new plan to give the Libyan Coast Guard even more boats and new equipment by 2020. Meanwhile, every single global human rights group you can think of is crying out for Europe to stop empowering the Libyan Coast Guard to bring migrants and refugees back to Libya. The numbers of migrant landing in Italy have gone down in the second half of 2017. Is it considered by EU as a success? I don't know whether, I mean, the, the, the former success I would point to is the radical drop in the number of people dying. Whether it's in the number of people dying in the Mediterranean or the estimated drop in the number of people dying in Sahara. That is the biggest success. Uh, We may be considered uh, a soft touch, but we don't like people dying unnecessarily. Leffler pointed out that the EU policies have also helped people trapped in Libya. More than 15,000 people from inside Libyan detention centers have been freed and returned to their home countries. But four of his advisors were in the room during our interview, and I could feel some kind of embarrassment, not only from Leffler himself, but also from his staff. They all know what's happening in Libya. So does Madeleine Habib. Remember she was the boss on the Aquarius that we heard at the beginning of the show. I called her on Skype to know what she saw had changed since the rescue mission I went on nine months ago. She told me that the Libyan Coast Guard presence had only become more dangerous and intimidating for NGO rescue ships. More and more, the NGO vessels are not being permitted to conduct rescues. They're being tasked with a rescue and then being told that now the Libyan Coast Guard is now going to conduct that rescue and that they're not allowed to be involved. Meanwhile, Italian prosecutors have actually brought criminal cases against NGO rescue crew members. The claim is that these rescue crews have been helping smugglers bring people to Europe. In March, a Spanish NGO's rescue ship was impounded by Italy. And their boat has since been released, but this kind of pressure on the NGO vessels is making it much more difficult to operate. There is less of a sense of cooperation with the European authorities, and it's almost as if they're trying to squeeze the NGO vessels out of operation. Almost all the NGO vessels, except the Aquarius and a few ships run by an NGO called Sea-Watch, have stopped operating. And conditions in Libya are deteriorating, which means things are even more dangerous for migrants who get picked up by the Libyan Coast Guard and for Libyans themselves. Since last year, we have noticed that there have been quite a few Libyans who are making this journey. That's an indication of just how unstable the conditions are in Libya and what a dangerous country it is that people would consider attempting the completely hazardous sea journey across the Mediterranean. So whatever happened to Ozaze Sunday? I tried to talk to him again. He had a cell phone. I tried calling him many times. Ozazi, this is Raphael Kraft, the French journalist you met in Catania. Um, I was wondering if you were still in Sicily or if you had reached France, as you told me. He never answered. Anyway... Before I left Italy, I went back to find him after our interview. But I only found his two friends, Godwin and Richie. They are from Nigeria too. And they too were begging at the same place as they did, asking to wash windshields at a stoplight. We are in the center of Catania. And they wait until the stoplight is red. 
They go to the cars, knock at the windows of the drivers. When the window is open, they have a little conversation with Italians. And most of the drivers are nice to them. They had not seen Ozazi Sunday that day. Ozazi must have met so many people during his journey, good people, bad people. All his encounters were ephemeral, including mine. I never heard from him again. Thanks to reporter Raphael Kraft for that story. So far this year, arrivals to Italy are still way down compared to the height of the migrant crisis. But the summer, the busiest time for crossings, is just beginning. And smugglers are coming up with new routes. It's too early to tell what 2018 will bring. Meanwhile, tens of thousands of migrants are stuck in official and unofficial detention centers in Libya. You can see a photo essay from Raphael Kraft on our website with some really moving photos from the Aquarius Rescue at Sea. Just go to revealnews.org slash rescue. That's revealnews.org slash rescue. Laura Starczewski was our lead producer. Our show was edited by Taki Telenidis. Special thanks to France Television and WHYY for production help on this episode. Our production manager is Mwende Enaosa. Our sound design team is the dynamic duo. Jay Breezy, a.k.a. Jim Briggs, and Fernando, my man, yo, Aruda. Our acting CEO is Krista Scharfenberg. Amy Powell's our editor-in-chief. Our executive producer is Kevin Sullivan. Our theme music is by Camarado, Lightning. Support for reveals provided by the Reeve and David Logan Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, the Jonathan Logan Family Foundation, the Ford Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Ethics and Excellence in Journalism Foundation. Reveal is a co-production of the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX. I'm Al Edson. And remember, there is always more to the story. 